Paul's thanking you for the great gift of your love and grace to us that enables us by you first loving us to praise you, to give in gratitude a song of praise celebrating your love and your faithfulness in our life. We also pause knowing this morning that there are those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. We pray very specifically here at Dawson for First Baptist Sutherland Springs. We think of the tremendous atrocity that occurred during their worship service last week, knowing that a pastor is speaking even this morning that knows acutely the pain of the loss of his daughter. For those 26 families, for the sons and daughters who are grieving the passing of fathers and mothers, for the fathers and mothers that are grieving the passing of sons and daughters, for brothers and sisters, for family members. There is no one in that community that has not been affected personally by what occurred last week. We come alongside of them. We pray that even in the midst of what Satan meant for evil, that you, God, would work for good, that the gospel would reign true even in the midst of tears, even in the midst of pain that you would minister to those who are weeping. May they know the truth, that blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted comforted by the peace that passeth all understanding. And may the gospel shine brightly forth from that community. Even now, be with them as they grieve. Be with them even now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, I'm going to invite you to turn with me this morning in your copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 3. We continue to pray for First Baptist Sutherland Springs. We pray for that congregation. We pray for that community, knowing that we as the body of Christ are connected. It is a Southern Baptist congregation, so we're connected denominationally. We're connected just in our hearts with that congregation this morning. We're mindful of the measures that are perceptible and even behind the scenes here at Dawson, the security of children, the security of grandchildren, the security of our facilities is a conversation prior to last week that is very intentional around here. It continues to be a priority conversation. We, we prize the security and we have measures in place and we are mindful of that. So as we gather here, we, we gather mindful of, of securing us as we worship here. We're, we're also mindful that our true security is found in Jesus Christ. And so we don't live in fear. We, we don't live in trepidation because we know that no weapon that is formed against us has the power to overcome the security and the foundation that we have in Christ Jesus as believers. So, so we have a conversation in this world and we also have a conversation because we're not of this world. And so we think both wisely, both with what to do to secure and how our security is found in Jesus Christ. We're in a center, uh, we're in a sermon series entitled Christ the Center 
And as we are walking through the book of Colossians, what we have been reminded of and we have discovered, maybe even for the first time, is that Christ desires to be the center of your salvation. He is our hope. He is our security. And not only as we set ourselves in Him and as we are found in Him through our salvation, as He desires to work in us, that spills over into our relationships. So Christ desires to be the center of our marriages. He desires to be the center of our parenting and even if we are children. He desires to be in the center of how we respond to the discipline and instruction that our parents give us. As I'm walking through this passage, I'm reminded last week as uh, one of my sons came up to me after as we were talking later on in the week after the sermon yesterday or last Sunday and he said, Dad, I, I read ahead and I saw that you're going to be preaching on what it means to be a, a father. And he said, no pressure there at all. <laughs> I, I remember a professor of mine in seminary that said that he had all of these wonderful parenting messages that he had to retire once he became a parent himself. <laughs> and so there is no denying that, that, that I preach as one who is in the thick of what Paul's going to be talking about here. So I don't, I don't come to you as this counselor who has it all figured out. I, I don't pretend to be James Dobson. I don't pretend to be Kevin Lehman here. I, I don't have 10 steps to parenting uh, where your children will never become prodigals. I, we, we know that life is not that simplistic. All of us in this room know that. But God's Word speaks. It speaks to parents. It speaks to children. And it does it with great clarity in our passage here this morning. So I just remind you of what God's Word says to all of us here this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21 is the larger context where Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Two weeks ago, we looked at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Last week, we looked at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And this week, we focus on two passages and implications for all of us that are here this morning, whether we are grandparents or whether we're parents or whether we're single this morning. The passage says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I want us to see two calls from this passage this morning. The first is a call for children. And under that call, I want you to see a principle and also a promise. A principle and a promise. The principle is real clear. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That word obey in the original language of the New Testament, it carries with it a sort of a military command impetus to it. We've celebrated our veterans here, and that passage is a passage that has military implications to it. It was one who had a readiness to hear and to carry out orders, to carry out orders. This was the call that Paul was placing upon children to their parents, to listen to and to abide by the instructions of their parents. Now again, there are a lot of qualifications. We can look at this. We, we say, I bear you parents in everything, and it's not difficult to say, well, does that mean everything? I mean, even if a parent is to say something that would obviously be out of the will of the Bible and out of the will of the Word of God, does a child have to do that? Well, notice the qualifications here. 
for this pleases the Lord. Notice also the context that, that Paul is talking to Christian parents. He is talking to parents that are raised with Christ, Colossians 3, verse 1. He's talking to parents that are seeking things that are above. Their, their life is hidden with Christ and God, Colossians 3, verse 3. So he's not just talking about any parents here, but he, but he is talking to Christian parents who desire to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord imperfectly. There's no denying that, that there, there is no parent who is going to carry that out perfectly. So perfection isn't a prerequisite for a child to heed the words of his mother or his father. Uh, John Calvin, when he was walking through the book of Colossians, he was preaching on this message, and then he, he asked the hypothetical question, well, what if a child has non-Christian parents? Does that child then, who has become a believer, have to heed the advice and words of their non-Christian parents? And, and Calvin states something that I think is really helpful for us to hear, is that not only is there a principle here that applies to Christian parents and Christian children, but there is a way in which we could say that this is how God has ordained the family. That his common grace upon us, even when we're outside of his salvation, this applies to us because God has created family to have a structure to it. That children are never in God's original plan intended to be the ones that are dictating the rules and regulations of the household. And so Calvin's word is a word that we understand kind of implicitly as, as parents, that when children are ruling the household, something has gone awry. It is a call upon every child's life to heed and to obey their parents' words. Why? Because this pleases the Lord. Why? Because this is, God has, this is how he has ordained the family. And, and to not heed this causes chaos. It causes confusion. It causes disorder in your family. It causes disorder in my family. I grew up the oldest of three boys. And so now I have three boys. And so it's not oftentimes I feel like this deja vu kind of moments. And so I remember vividly my mother telling me at 10 and 11, David, I need you to do this. And I remember, uh, just I can remember it very fresh, as, as many of you can, that oftentimes I would, I would heed her words with, with sort of an equity meter. I would say things like, Mom, why do I have to do that? Why, why does it, M Michael hasn't done that. Matthew, why, why aren't you asking Matthew to do that? And you, you know what she would say to me? Because I, because I said so. Choir, y'all have said that before, it sounds like there. So I'm preaching to the choir behind me, and I'm preaching a lot to the choir before me here. See, so many of you have raised your children, and you've said that because you've noted, without even quoting Colossians chapter 3, verses 20, you, you've noted that I have a call upon my life as your father or as your mother to give you instruction and discipline, and you are to heed that. You're not to, to hear that and say, well, I want to do that. I like doing that. Any child who would hear on Christmas morning, get up, it's time to go open your presents. Any child is going to heed that and say yes to that. But oftentimes as a child, we have to heed and we have to hear the commands of our parents even when we disagree with them. Even when we don't understand them. Why? Well, it's a principle in Scripture. Secondly, there's a promise. 
Just like last week and the week before that, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and then he fleshes this out. There's more that he says that is very connected to what he says here in Colossians in the book of Ephesians. And so we see not only a principle reiterated in Ephesians, but we also see a promise added to it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Look with me again in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Sounds really familiar to what he has just said in Colossians chapter 3. And notice what he adds. It's in quotations, because he is quoting the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother. Parenthetically, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it is a connected passage that adds not only to the principle, but it adds this promise that is connected to the principle. And the promise is that wonderful promise of the fifth commandment. The commandment where the Ten Commandments, it shifts to uh, not only a vertical response, but to a horizontal response. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. Paul, what is the promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, we don't take passages out of their context and make it a pretext A child can live a fairly obedient life and not live to be 99 years old. So this is not a passage that becomes this rabbit's foot that if a a child is disobedient, then he's going to end his life at an early death. That's not what Paul is saying. But the principle of this promise, it, it, it tends to be true that when a child obeys their parents, it goes well for them because God has ordained the family where a parent gives discipline and instruction. And when a child heeds that discipline and instruction in the family, then he'll heed the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And when he heeds the discipline and instruction of the Lord, then it has implications for his own family life and his own work life. So when a child lives under this principle, there is a promise of prosperity and blessing that comes. Any father and any mother who disciplines their children oftentimes is having to say I am not doing this because I just want to do this if you're a child here and you're eight years old or you're 10 years old and you're sitting by your mom and dad I as a parent of my own children oftentimes saying I'm not taking this away from you because I just want to see how you're going to react to this I I have some kind of sadistic pleasure in taking things that you love away from you or disciplining you I do this because I love you. Now, I know if you're seven years old or if you're 11 years old, you say to yourself, well, if you really love me, you would just let me do whatever I wanted to do. Well, no. No. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we know that it's God's word. It says in chapter 12, verse 7 through 8, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Did you hear that question? For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, verse 8, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So one of the most unloving things that a parent can do is to not provide discipline and instruction for their children. To allow children to do whatever they desire to do and to have this sense of input in every decision is to not heed God's word to us as parents. Yesterday, 
many of you went to games, many of you watched football games, and you enjoyed watching the games. Most of you in this room really were pleased with the outcome. Not everyone in the room was pleased with the outcome. That's another sermon altogether. But think about yesterday without rules. Think, think about yesterday without boundaries. Think of yesterday, the quarterback, he takes the ball, he hands it off to the running back, and the running back runs, not straight forward, but runs to the side and, and runs out of bounds, and then he runs past the cheerleaders, and then he runs up into the band section, and he just keeps on going. There's anarchy. That is not fun to watch that. You see, the rules and the boundaries of the game, it makes it exciting. It makes it a game. The restrictions of the game bring about order, and it brings about enjoyment. So to remove restrictions and to remove order is something that is very detrimental to any child and to any, any family. And you know as well as I do as parents that one of the real difficulties in our society and one of the uh, things that our society is reaping what has been sown is when there isn't instruction, there isn't discipline in the home, it plays out in society, does it not? The child that has no discipline and instruction in the home oftentimes doesn't have a sense of respect for authority. And so that lack of respect for authority, it leaves the household and then it moves into the school. And the lack of authority for parents becomes a lack of authority for teachers. And a lack of authority for teachers becomes a lack of authority for professors. And a lack of authority for professors becomes a lack of authority for employers and bosses. And that lack of authority, it follows them until they meet really harsh consequences. And they don't have a job. And they're unemployed. And they realize that they have a faulty foundation. And that lack of authority that was bred in the home becomes then a lack of respect and, and authority for God. And people do whatever they see to do that is right in their own eyes. So Paul, in this passage, he has a very specific call for children that has a principle and a promise that's right here inherent in Colossians and Ephesians, but it's not the totality of the story because there is a call for parents that's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And that call for parents is just very clear. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, there's a corollary connection to Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Last two or three weeks, we've been saying that outside of the New Testament, there were instructions to households. So in that ancient Greco-Roman world, there were these kinds of, of lists to parents, to children. And it's interesting that you understand what Paul is adding that would not have been in those listings outside of the Bible. There is, in Roman law, something that we translate as the power of the Father. So in Roman law, not biblical law, but Roman law outside of the Bible, a father had the right upon a child to do anything to that child. The child had no rights whatsoever. So the father could sell the child into slavery. The father could take the life of a child without any kind of governmental consequences, judiciary consequences for that. 
And so it's important for you to see that Paul is saying to earthly fathers, and by extension to earthly mothers, that there is a greater calling that you heed to parent your children in a way that honors the Lord. So Christ is called to be the center of your parenting. Well, then, Paul, what does that look like that's different? Well, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger in Ephesians chapter 6. So what does that mean? Because, again, he moves on in the rest of the verses to other topics, and we don't have four verses that begin to flesh this out. So we have to remind ourselves, what, what was he saying here? So literally, in Ephesians chapter 6, when he says, do not provoke your children to anger, it literally means in the original language of the New Testament, don't make them resentful, don't raise them in such a way that they become bitter. Now the specific way that this gets applied to every family in this room is going to take a, a lot of different uh, manifestations, depending upon the age of your children, depending upon the type of household that you were involved in. But there's a sense in which there are some common sense applications of these passages here that help remind me, first and foremost, because I'm raising, I'm raising an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 5-year-old, so I'm right in the heart of this, and many of you are also. So whether you're looking in the rearview mirror or you're looking in the windshield of the years that you have in front of you, all of us need to just be reminded of what could be a way that we nurture our children so that they do not become angry and bitter, bitter toward God, bitter toward us, bitter toward the church. There's another way I think we could, could sort of play this out with, with the word don't exasperate them. I think the English word don't exasperate them really is encompassing of what Paul says. So just four principles. Don't exasperate your children by being perpetual fault finders. I know all of us in this room were raised in different type of home environments. There, there are some of you in this room that were raised in an environment where you could do no wrong, and there were some of you in this room that were raised in an environment where you could do no right. And most of us in this room were, were, were raised in, in the perpetual in-between of those extremes. And we go back and forth. And so many of you know what it's like to, to live in a household where you only heard correction, you only heard condemnation, and you did not hear commendation, and you did not hear celebration. And it's important to recognize that even in Christian households and non-Christian households, that this can take place. That, that the standard of excellence gets set so high that a child feels like they never can reach it. They only feel as if they're always falling short. John Newton, the great hymn writer, he said of his father, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish for me to see it. I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish for me to see it. We can exasperate our children by being perpetual fault finders. We can exasperate our children by allowing the frustrations of our professional life to spill over into our personal life. There is no doubt that the great responsibility that many of you have in this room from 8 to 5, from 8 to 6, from 6 in the morning to whenever you come at home, it always has a temptation to spill over into your home life. 
And there are times where the unique stresses of the workplace can come into the home and it, it becomes a place where everybody's on pins and needles. The stress has just overtaken the home life. And there's a sense in which we can exasperate our children by creating this stressful environment where, where everyone is on edge. Kent Hughes, who is a wonderful pastor outside of Chicago, Illinois, at College Church, close to, to Wheaton, he tells sort of a cartoonish story of a boss who is grouchy to an employee. The employee comes home, and he takes it out on his son, and the son goes back to his room, and the dog's on the bed, so the son kicks the dog off the bed, and then the dog runs out the front door and down the street and bites the first person that dog sees, which happens to be the boss of his dad. So... So, I mean, we can think, I mean, silly stories like this, but all of us, we know that there is a unique challenge of having boundaries where the, the stresses of the work life do not overwhelm our home. So we can be exasperating to our children by being perpetual fault finders, by allowing our frustrations to spill over. We can exasperate our children by being overly strict and, and having just this sense of harsh implementation of discipline where no is the only answer in our parental vocabulary. No, 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 no. And when no is the only answer, and there's not a place for yes, it can become this really harsh, legalistic environment. There, there are many things that we need to tell our children, correct, that they do not need to do. There, there are many places they do not need to go. There are many things that they do not need to see. But we can, at times, breed our children in this place of legalism and be raising really, 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 really good Pharisees who keep the letter of the law but have lost the spirit of a relationship with Christ. Henry Ward Beecher is a, is a name that oftentimes we don't hear of, but you need to know of him. In the late 19th century into the early 20th century, he was one of the first American megachurch pastors. It's not the best analogy, but he, he was one of the first Joel Osteens in many respects there in New York City. He grew up in the family of many, many children of a very famous pastor by the name of Lyman Beecher, who was a very serious, serious man, very serious preacher, very gifted preacher. And the way that Henry Ward Beecher at least recounted his upbringing and Debbie Applegate had a wonderful biography that came out on Beecher about 2007. And she tells a story of coming home after being at church. And the environment at home was one that that Sunday was going to be a day where you gave all to God. So the household would be one that meditates and prays all to honor God in the Sabbath. Well, you can imagine how a four-year-old boy hears that, a five-year-old boy hears that. And the way Beecher remembers it, the son, is that he would get in trouble for laughing on Sunday, that all joy was prohibited on the Sabbath. And that had a lot of implications for his ministry. It had a lot of implications for his personal life because all he heard in that Christian environment was no, 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 no. And there was never the celebration of the goodness of God in the family home. So we can exasperate our children by being overly strict. And, and finally, we can exasperate our children by being inconsistent in our implementation. I, all parents. We, we all raise our children on the run. We're all doing this in the midst uh, of real time. And some of my worst parenting moments no doubt, are moments in which I, off the cuff, give edicts down upon my children that are not 
wise, nor are they implementable over a period of time. And so you've been there, you've done that. It's oftentimes very helpful to be on the same page all the time, is it not, with a, a wife and a husband, a mother and a father. And it's at times where, where we're, we're casting down implementation of discipline that is so over the top and, and, and so difficult to, that, that it's just not wise. Now I come to the end of a sermon like this And as one who is raising children right now, I just have to admit to you that I know very, very well what it means to fall short of the ideal that God places before us in this passage. I'm 100% sure that there have been times where I've exasperated my children. I love my children, there's no doubt about that, but there's there's something about parenting as, as fallen parents saved by the grace of God that we are acutely aware of how far, far we fall short. And I think it's important for you and me to, to know and to be reminded that God's grace is sufficient in your parenting. That God's grace, that He loves your children more than you love your children. That He desires their flourishing and their well-being more than you do. And you know how much you love your kids. You know how much you want what is best for them. So he desires for them to come home if they're off in a foreign land more than you do. He desires them to flourish and to live. And, and oftentimes, one of the best gifts that we can give our children is the awareness that even we as parents fall short of God's standard, but we receive his grace and his mercy to take a step anew and to to be able to posture that and model that before our children. I remember this really well. A few years ago, we were coming back from a long vacation. It's one of those kinds of beach vacations that I really need to go back to work to have a vacation from the vacation, if you know what I mean by that kind of vacation. So it was a long beach vacation with our boys at a very young stage of their life. And we made the idea that we were coming back on a Saturday night, but we were going to spend the night in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And for the first time, that the boys were old enough to remember that we would take them to worship in the church that was the first church that Danielle and I pastored. None of them lived there for any... uh, Our youngest son was born there, but he was only there for six months. So it was going to be a special moment. So we hadn't at that time because it was sort of a spur-of-the-moment decision as we were coming back. We said, well, we can just call on the cell phone and get a hotel room that's in Pascagoula, wake up the next morning and go to church. Well, we did not know, nor did we consider, that there would be this huge event at the shipyard there in Pascagoula that would fill up all the hotel rooms. So you can imagine, uh, just like Joseph and Mary, we come to the end and the innkeeper says, there's no room in the inn for you. And so we get back and we go to five minutes away and there's all the hotel rooms are filled up. And we had, we had driven a good bit of time, and then the boys become to be exasperated by this. It's getting later and later, so we go back 10 minutes away. There's no rooms there, and it's in that time, if you've ever parented children, that uh, they're in the van, and there begin to be these discussions that are very familiar to all of us. He is touching me. He's, he's crossed the line here, and They're angelic children, but sometimes uh, Satan works in and through them well enough to, they, they get to fighting and they get to going back and forth at each other. 
I'm on the cell phone trying to get a reservation. I'm now 25 minutes away from Pascagoula, and I, I said, I didn't want to do this. We shouldn't have done this. Everything, I'm getting really frustrated, and they're screaming, and I just turned back in a very pastoral way, and I said, be quiet, everybody. Don't talk. To which Danielle said, does that include me also there? Like, are you, are you parenting me in this moment? And, I, and, and it was just silence. It was, one of those, it was one of those parenting achievements that just silenced the whole van and everybody sat there on pins and needles. We finally found a place to stay back in, uh, back in Alabama outside of Mobile. We get to the hotel. I lift up the back of the van and all of the uh, kids' stuff falls out. I mean, you just reap what you sow. Have you ever been in that kind of moment? And I take the boys back into the hotel room and I sit them down and I said, guys, I, I just kind of messed up. Dad, Dad got really frustrated and I took it out on y'all. And you know something, I, I'm sorry about doing that. And they looked at me and said, Dad, we've known for a while that you're not perfect. <laughs> No, they, I don't think they said that, but they, they certainly have known for a while that I'm not perfect. But it is a moment that I think all of us need to be reminded of is that in our imperfection, he is perfect. And I, as an earthly father, will always fall short of God's standard, but I have a heavenly father who meets me in my imperfection. And there's some of you in this room that acutely know too well disappointment and discouragement that you have experienced at the hands of earthly parents. And as we talk about parenting and we talk about fathers and mothers, it, it becomes a, a painful subject. And I just want to remind you of the truth that in your life, that no matter who your earthly parent was, that you have a heavenly father who desires an intimate relationship with you. He is one who is not inconsistent, but is thoroughly consistent, who is never unfaithful, but always faithful. And he has adopted you into his family. He, he's paid all of the expenses through his son's death, burial, and resurrection. And if you would turn to him, that you could know the forgiveness that all of us need to know, the forgiveness of of the sins that we all fall so short of, his standard and his holy perfection. And I hope you know, if you're a child this morning, if you're a parent this morning, or if you're a grandparent this morning, that you have a heavenly Father who desires to walk with you and to forgive you and to love you and to shepherd you in all of the responsibilities that you have this side of heaven. Do you know that, Dad? Do you know that, Mom? Do you know that, Son? Do you know that, Daughter? Let us pray. We come, God, recognizing that you are our love, you are our hope, you are our security. I pray for that person that does not know you personally as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they turn to you for true hope, for true security. 
We thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts as sons, as daughters, as fathers, as mothers. May we turn to you knowing that you are our righteousness. You are our hope. You are our true perfection. It's in your name we pray. Amen.